Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher. Completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and sun sets, then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then turns north. Around and round it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. History merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, here is something new, but actually it's old. Nothing is ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past, and in the future generations, no one will remember what we are doing now. I, the teacher, was king of Israel, and I lived in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to search uh, for understanding and, and to explore by wisdom everything being done under heaven. I soon discovered that God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. I observed everything going on under the sun, and really it is all meaningless, like chasing the wind. What is wrong cannot be made right. What is missing cannot be recovered. I said to myself, look, I am wiser than any of the kings who ruled in Jerusalem before me. I'm greater. I have greater wisdom and knowledge than any of them. So I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness and folly. But I learned firsthand that pursuing all this is like chasing the wind. The greater my wisdom, the greater my grief to increase knowledge only increases sorrow. I said to myself, Come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to, speak, to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself. Hold on. I tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself. And by planting beautiful vineyards, I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women and others were born into my household. I also owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and many beautiful concubines. <laughs> I had everything a man could desire. So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. So I decided to compare the wisdom with foolishness and madness. For who can do this better than I, the king? 
I thought wisdom is better than foolishness, just as light is better than darkness. For the wise can see where they are going, but fools walk in darkness. Yet I saw that the wise and the foolish share the same fate. Both will die. So I said to myself, since I will end up the same as a fool, what's the value of all my wisdom? This is all so meaningless. For the wise and the foolish both die. The wise will not be remembered any longer than the fool. In the days to come, both will be forgotten. came to hate life. Because everything done here under the sun is, is so troubling. Everything is meaningless, like chasing the wind. I came to hate all my hard work here on earth, for I must leave to others everything I earned. And who can tell whether my successors will be wise or foolish, yet they will control everything I have gained by my skill and hard work under the sun. How meaningless. So I gave up in despair, questioning the value of all my hard work in this world. Some people work wisely with knowledge and skill, then must leave the fruit of their efforts to someone who hasn't worked for it. This, too, is meaningless. A great tragedy. So what do people get in this life for all their hard work and anxiety? Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night, their minds cannot rest. It is all meaningless. So I decided there is nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and find satisfaction in work. Then I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of God. For who can eat or enjoy anything apart from Him? God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy to those who please Him. But if a sinner becomes wealthy, God takes the wealth away and gives it to those who please Him. This too is meaningless, like chasing the wind. For everything, there is a season. Oh, you guys, are you want me to stop? Are you with me? <laughs> Should I keep going? Uh, any of you feel like uh, I just hit you over the head with a shovel multiple times? You're just cheering us up. Yeah, exactly. Um, the question that should be floating in all of your heads right now, with all that just bombarded it, is what kind of book is this? Already, some of you are looking for some firm ground to stand on, and, and the best I can tell you is, there is none. This book, this writing, uh, Ecclesiastes, has been described the strangest book of the Bible. There is not another writing in the Bible anywhere close to the book of Ecclesiastes. It is intentionally, and this is going to be hard for you to understand, it is intentionally countercultural. It is intentionally subversive. It is intentionally disorienting. All right? It's disorienting on purpose. And the, and the fact that it's so strange and so difficult should tell us something. Let me ask you, what is, a, what is the job of a teacher? is the job of a teacher to, to reaffirm what you already know and believe and accept? Or is the job of a teacher to take that thing which you think you know 
and turn it completely on its head. I think a really good teacher will take something that you've looked at a thousand times and show you something new. They'll invite you to see it from a completely new and different perspective. And in Ecclesiastes, we are in the presence of Koheleth. We are in the presence of a master teacher. So he's going to knock you off any kind of solid ground. If you think you've got it, if you think you've got what, that thing to hold on to, he's going to knock that away from you. He's going to create dissonance. All right, and this is going to drive some of you crazy, but in Ecclesiastes, he's going to contradict himself on purpose. <gasps> he's going to speak in circles. He's going to make broad generalizations. He's going to make statements about the world and reality and then not explain them at all. He is going to unsettle you. He's going to create tension. This is why probably I'm the only teacher in all of Nashville preaching on Ecclesiastes today, literally. Uh, I love Andy Stanley, but Andy Stanley ain't ever going to preach a teaching on, on Ecclesiastes because he, he doesn't work in in line items or points or start with a and then b and now point number three it doesn't work that way it's ecclesiastes is, is maybe the best example of let the whole interpret the one so if you try to take one verse and just kind of nitpick and pluck a single verse out of ecclesiastes and build your life around it it won't work because he's going to go back and forth through all different kinds of streams and thoughts and and so to understand the one you really have to understand the whole. He's not going to communicate the way you like. <laughs> How about that for a teacher? He says, I know the way you like to get it. I know the way you like to receive it. I know you're, you're kind of, you're, you're kind of pre-wired for this organization and this structure. Tough. Get over it. Um, he's not going to teach you in the way you think you should be taught. Are you with me? If he did, if he did teach you in the way you think or the way you already think or the way you think you should, he would not be the master teacher that he is. Only when everything you thought was solid ground has been disturbed and churned up, every notion, will you begin to learn and see the world, truly, truly see life in a whole new light. Are you with me? <laughs> uh-huh. Maybe. Um, people want to put Ecclesiastes in this kind of wisdom teaching, um, kind of like Psalms or Proverbs, you know, especially Proverbs. You know, Proverbs is this, this great book, and, and in Proverbs, there's two paths in life. There is a wise path, and a foolish path, right? I mean, and it is black and white. If you make wise choices, these thing, good things will happen, right? But if you make foolish choices, what's going to happen? Bad things. And, and all life is looked at through the lens of these two paths. It, it's very linear in the terms of A plus B will equal C. But Ecclesiastes is this great book that says, except when... And you'll see all of these examples, except when 
Uh, Ecclesiastes says, God sometimes makes the rain fall on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. Except when maybe you work and build and create, but when you die, who's to say those things that you worked so hard for won't fall into the hands of people who aren't going to work or who aren't going to care for it? Who, who aren't going to have the same uh, ethic as you had? Ecclesiastes is going to draw out this idea that, that sometimes the just get what they deserve, but sometimes the just get punished while the unjust get off scot-free. Have you ever seen this happen? What's that do to your whole Proverbs? A plus B equals C. This, this book is, is incredibly good for everyone who has, I've done the right thing, and I've said the right thing, and I've followed the straight and narrowed, and I still got screwed. <laughs> has this been you? Have you had this experience in your life? Ecclesiastes is going to challenge this notion that life is two simple categories. It's going to challenge our simple, simplistic, dualistic view of wise and foolish. In chapter 1 and verse 14, he says, the master teacher says, I observed everything going on under the sun. This phrase, under the sun, is a, is a, is a phrase for, for life. It is, uh, uh, it is a, a phrase that means between the moment you take your first breath and the moment you take your last breath. Under the sun is, is that gap in time. It is, it is the realm of the created, the realm of the things that, that what happens between your first breath and your last breath? The realm of the things that you save and make and create and cook up and plant and construct and organize. The things that in between breaths that, that you administrate under the sun has a beginning and has an end. Under the sun is the realm of time, a realm of, of the created. The created things under the sun exist in time. Are you with me? But later, and we're going to talk more about this, he is going to introduce a whole other realm. A realm that doesn't fall between your breaths. A realm that is not created, but an uncreated realm. Does that make sense? Of course not. We're going to get there. If you walk out thinking today made sense, I didn't do a good job. Maybe you always think that. I don't know. Um, Chapter 2, there's a big key to this. Um, uh, I'm sorry, in chapter 1, verse 2, uh, it starts out with the most awe-inspiring, positive verse the, that you could ever imagine. Chap chapter 1, verse 2 says, everything is, what's the word? And, and then he reiterates, no, no, literally. <laughs> what I said, it, it really, it's completely Meaningless. Some of you still holding on to your, your grandma's KJV. It might, it might say vanity. Vanity of vanity. Everything is vanity. 
And this word describes the core of the teacher's judgment concerning the world. It's, it's repeated 40 times. In, in 12 chapters of Ecclesiastes, this word meaningless is repeated 40 times. It's, it, it becomes almost an anchor word for, for the writer. Like if he gets lost in a thought, he's just going to come back and say, oh, well, it's all meaningless anyway. I was going to ask for prayers for today's teaching, but, you know, it's all meaningless, so. You know, he just kind of, he kind of falls back on this word again and again and again. Uh, it, it's something he returns to. And, and this is going to sound strange, and it, it's a hard thing for us, but um, meaningless doesn't really mean meaningless. Uh, and you got to just kind of take my word for this. The, the word in Hebrew is the word havel. Um, when we think of, of meaningless, we think of, of what? Uh, unimportant. Um, we, we think maybe without purpose, meaningless is something unimportant. Meaningless is something without purpose. But, but Havel is, is slightly different. It means physical breath or vapor, or my translation is, oh, please work. Please work. Oh, it's trying. Come on. Oh, there it goes. This just became the most exciting teaching you've ever had. So, this is Havel. Are you with me? Oh, don't stop yet. Okay, Havel. What he says is that's all you get. Are you following? The bubbles aren't, um, they're not meaningless, meaningless. I mean, they're, they're pretty, right? They're fun for the kids. Um, what Havel means is um, not, not unimportant, but momentary. All right? Uh, when he says everything is meaningless, what he says is everything is fleeting. Think about that under the sun, right? Everything that falls in this space is fleeting. Everything has this, this air of impermanence. Everything that falls in this, this, this slot of under the sun is temporary. Horses are Havel. Rainbows are Havel. Uh, tires, homework, bugs, clouds, buildings, bookshelves, music, your hair. Havel, meaningless. Um, toothpicks, your 401k. Havel. The stock market, cars, um, education, jobs, uh, the Super Bowl. Havel. It's meaningless. Mowing your grass, Titans football. <laughs> Some are more than others, I don't know. Junk mail. Um, your health is Havel. Your body. Your skin. Maybe your eyesight. These things are temporary. And you can spend your whole life working and gathering and collecting and doing all of this, 
but he's going to look at everything that happens under the sun in this gap, this created time, and say, it's all like chasing the wind. He's going to say in chapter 2, verses 14, he says, I observed everything under the sun. I observed everything. I surveyed all that my hands had done. And I love this perspective that Koheleth, the, the teacher, gives us. He, he speaks as someone who has done it all. Um, there's this, uh, almost this sense of uh, 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 some people, you know, he never identifies himself as Solomon, although we think maybe, probably, it seems, seems to fit. So we think, you know, a song of songs is this beautiful, romantic, youthful book. So, okay, so maybe Solomon wrote that when he was a kid. And then Proverbs is full of this wisdom of right and wrong and all that. So maybe that's middle age. And Ecclesiastes, if Solomon wrote it, is when he wrote it when he was old. He uh, may be like, um, a good example is... Uh, if I, if I took some of our young families or some of our young people and I set you down with some of our senior adults, what would they speak into your life? Do you senior adults, do you even, so I'm 38, I'm pretty old. Um, some of you, uh, some of you might be a little bit older than me, I don't know. Um, if I asked you, uh, some of you senior adults, if I asked you what's really important, Would you have a perspective that I couldn't possibly have? What would you say to all my gathering and collecting and all the things that I'm pouring my life into? Could you give me a taste of something different? Could you give me a perspective of, uh, on those things that I'm striving for? Would you, uh, would you speak into my life? If I was the 60-hour work week a guy, what would you say to me? Would you remind me of what's really important? Or maybe you've been in that position of, I wish somebody would have told me. Right? When I was your age, I wish somebody would have told me. And so there's a little bit of that perspective of when the master teacher says, I've observed everything going on under the sun. I've, I, I've tried everything. He, he is a little bit the, the morning after guy. The, the, the morning after the big event, he, he says, listen, listen, listen. I had it. You, you may be wanting it. You may have it on your wish list. You may be working for it. He says, I had it. I bought it. I built it. I accomplished it. I owned it. I, construct, uh, I constructed it. I financed it. Everything you can possibly achieve or process in this space, right, I did it. You may be thinking, well, if I just had, I did it. I had it. I had two. And he says, I am here to talk to you about the morning after. This is, this is true wisdom. He says, after you've collected and gathered and worked and constructed and got all of these things, I want to talk to you about the moment after you get that thing that you've been working and desiring. That moment where you've worked and trained so hard and you won the championship. You, you've got it. Now what? Have you ever been there? Maybe you've made your first million. 
And now you're second. And now you're third. And you're asking, well, now that I got this, now what? Maybe you've finally made it to retirement. You've got there. Now what? That feeling like you got that thing you always wanted, and then when you get to it, when you, when you finally get it, and realize it's meaningless. Have you ever been there? He wants to speak into that moment of your life. He wants to speak into that now what moment of my life. And some, for, for some of us, that, that, that realization moment where it strikes us, that thing we've been striving and struggling for is really not that important. Sometimes it doesn't happen when we're successful. Sometimes we, we come to that moment in a phone call. There's been an accident. Or you're by somebody's side of the hospital. Maybe, maybe it happens to us in these moments of when we achieve everything and these other moments that kind of knock us off our, our total foundation. Uh, it happens when the doctor calls with the test results and it isn't the results we wanted to hear. Feel that? Maybe some of you have fought cancer. One of those moments happened in my life. I was, I was driving with my grandfather. My little brother I was 16 years old, and my grandpa had a heart attack in the car with us. You ever had one of those moments that everything you thought was important suddenly gets recategorized? It is these moments of, of, of reexamination that give you a jarring reminder that this life is work for me. Oh, gosh, i got to get a new bubble gun. Come on. Come on. I'm waiting. Please work. All right, some of you are genius out there. Will one of you build me a gun that creates bubbles and works? Come on. I know you want to work. This was a good teaching until this moment. Yeah, it's meaningless. I know. There it goes. All right, come back to it. Ever had that moment that reminds you that this is all you get? Ecclesiastes is about this moment of re-examination. A jarring reminder that this life is vapor. That this life under the sun is mist, it's bubbles, it's temporary. And maybe the thing you've been pursuing, working to achieve, isn't that important after all. In just a few moments, we're going to have a time of communion and... Uh, uh, it's a great time. I want you to take advantage of, of considering Christ, but I want you to go even deeper. I want you to consider your own life. Consider your priorities. Consider the things you think are important. Consider your... Uh, uh, in <laughs> Try to make this not sound pessimistic or cool or hateful, but we're all going to the same place 
right? It's going to happen. It's coming for all of us. And to remember that, to, to give us, not, not to drive us into some sort of dark, reclusive place, but to draw us out. There is, there is a subversive tone of Ecclesiastes, even in the midst of all of this. It's all meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. There is a tone of Ecclesiastes that whispers out, garbage right? That this may be all you get, but take advantage of every moment. Socrates said the unexamined life is not worth living. So make no mistake, Ecclesiastes, Kolhaleth, the master teacher, is here to teach us about life. He is here. He has written this incredible work to talk to you about the meaning of life, about what is really, really important. important. And faintly lingering on the edges. He's not going to be, remember, it's not going to be bold print in one of your chapter headings. But faintly lingering on the edges of the page, we discover something else uh, in this world, in this, in this whole world of the created, we discover something that is uncreated. Look what he says, and, and, I, and I read it, but in chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, you get, a, you get just a brief taste of this. He said, so I decided there is nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work then I realized these pleasures are from the hand of who? God. God is the uncreated. God is the one who created the created. Are you with me? God is not mist. God is not vapor. God does not exist in this space. God is not temporary. God exists outside of time. And the teacher wants to wake you up to a very, a very simple idea that life is a precious gift from God to be appreciated and enjoyed. Jesus put it this way. I have come so that you might have life and life to the full. Only when we latch on to that which is uncreated, only when we really start to, to grasp that thing that has no beginning or end, can we and appreciate and enjoy our time under the sun. So let me pray for you and I'll send you to a time of communion. Father God, we come before you today and, and, and honestly, God, I pray that, our, that everyone sitting here, we're a little bit unsettled. If we're not, somehow the teacher's words have deflected off of us. We've, we've refused to even be shaken, which is, which is a scary thing, Father God, and, and that should cause warning flags, red flags to raise up on our own life. Father God, it is, it is entirely possible that we get so consumed of, of chasing bubbles and organizing bubbles that, that we can get lost. 
that we can lose that thing which is truly important. Uh, we can live like every day. There'll be another, well, there'll be another day. But Father God, help us to realize that this life is, is a temporary thing. But even in, in that, in, in, in its temporariness, there is something beautiful and good. You invite us to something whole and new and different. Through your son, Jesus Christ, we've received this incredible gift. And, and, it's, and it happens even now. It happens in, in the way we see the world and process the things of the world. So, Father God, as we move into this time of communion, man, God, I pray that uh, those places in us that have been settled and rock solid and firm forever would be shaken up. I pray that, that all of our, our priorities and self-importance and, and our goals, all of those things would be thrown into the blender again and re-examined in the, in the light of your son, Jesus, in the, in the light of what you are doing in creation. Father God, I pray that we would breathe deeply, that we would be here every moment conscious of the world and the world around us. And in that consciousness that comes from you, have, have a greater appreciation and understanding and even an ability to enjoy this life. Father God, this, uh, this teaching, even though written before the time of your son, wouldn't be, be possible. We can't understand it outside of the context of Jesus. And so, Father God, as we enter into this time of communion, I pray for, uh, I pray for unsettledness, but then I pray for in, that, in the midst of that unsettledness for, for your son, Jesus, for the power of his spirit to come into each of our lives, to challenge us, to break us, to shape us, to rearrange us. Father God, we enter into this time to remember what your son did for us, this great gift of, uh, that he offered in sacrificing himself for us so that we might escape this time under the sun and be exposed to a whole new reality, a whole new world. Father God, we love you. Thank you for your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that everyone together says, Amen.